Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA, and I am joined by wonderful colleagues and friends from around the state of Georgia every week to talk about their life stories and musical journey. Today, I am excited to introduce to you Doug Farwell, a dear friend and colleague of mine. I am excited for this opportunity to get to speak with him. So without further delay, hello, Doug. Let's just get started with a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, I, I grew up with music all around me. and It's been part of my life since I was very young. My mom was a voice teacher. And so I started taking piano when I was young. They thought that was important. I sang in choirs and played in bands. Once I got to middle school, I started getting more involved in bands. So I, I dropped the choir. Um, but I did a lot of different types of variety of music. Also was on a clogging team when I was young. So that introduced me to bluegrass music, which I still love today. Um, so that was kind of fun. I have three degrees in music and trombone performance. One from North Carolina School of the Arts, master's from State University of Stony Brook, and my doctorate from the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And tell everyone about what you do now. So I teach at Valdosta State University here with Dr. Lynn, and I've been teaching here for 29 years, uh, so a long time. I took a, a break after my first two years to go get my doctorate, but then I came back. So I actually was here, left, and then came back. And so I teach uh, trombone predominantly, but I teach, I've taught other classes over the years. You also work very closely with the symphony. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, since 2009, I've been the executive director of the orchestra. So I manage and, and run the orchestra for the, it's the Valdosta Symphony Orchestra. So it's a combination of a regional orchestra and community orchestra as well as being a component of our music program here at VSU. So our faculty and students are involved too. Yeah, I, I love uh, hearing the beginnings of your story. I had no idea that you played piano at the beginning. At what point did you um, let go of piano or stop playing piano or do you still play? I can still play all my chords and progressions which I had to learn in class piano in college. I can play chords and things, certainly scales and chords and things, but uh, I stopped probably in, in middle school because I started getting really busy. I was also involved in sports and so I was in multiple bands and choir. And so I just, I just kind of let it, let it go then as I got yeah. more involved in trombone and practicing the trombone. Yeah, you hinted at it earlier. Um, what was your family's relationship with music like? I know that even right now you have a very musical family. Yes, my mom taught voice, so we always had singers in the house, and I grew up listening to opera and art songs. So I was in the Cincinnati Summer Opera with Beverly Sills when I was six in La Boheme, and I sang in a couple operas when I was in high school, you know, as part of the chorus or something. So I was involved in that, and then my father was a reviewer for Opera News, so we got to go to operas for free. So we'd go to the Knoxville Opera, Charlotte Opera, and every summer we'd go to the Spoleto Festival. And so I got to see things like the Flying Dutchman live, and we would get nice tickets to go see chamber music, the whole thing at Spoleto Festival. So that was fun. We did that every summer. 
Wow, that's incredible. What an incredible treat. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience to hear all that great music. So let's back up and let's talk about your teachers. Do you have a favorite memory of your teachers that you can share? I went to Illinois, University of Illinois, to my first year of my doctorate to study with Robert Gray, who's kind of a legendary teacher, was there 40 years. And unfortunately, my first year there was his last year. So I only got to work with him a year, but I learned a lot of things. And one day early in the lessons, it was September, I asked him like, how long should I work on lip slurs or, you know, what should I do about that? And he paused for a second and he, and he said, look out the window. And I didn't really understand what looking out the window had to do with lip slurs, but I was about to get a, a lesson I've never forgotten. So he said, look out the window, see the leaves on the trees. He said, one day they'll start to change colors and then they'll fall from the tree and then the snow will come. And then eventually the leaves will come back to the trees. That's all he said. And this was early on in our lesson. So I just, it took a second or two. I was just silent and I realized that I just had gotten a lesson from like, I felt like I was with Master Yoda. <laughs> and his point was that lip slurs needed to be part of my daily life for the rest of my life. And it was just part of my journey. And that was just an integral part of playing trombone every day. And I got that message loud and clear. <laughs> Since that moment, every day of my life, I've played lip slurs. That's what I was going to ask, even up to today. Still today. Wow, that's amazing. So let's also continue just staying in your student days. Do you remember what piece from your musical studies as a child got you hooked on music? I think just because I had so much voice music and in my life early. So my first memory of a piece was Richard Strauss's Four Last Songs. I would listen to that over and over and I could hum the entire, all four songs. I couldn't pronounce the German, but I could hum along with the singers when I was like in the sixth grade. That piece had an amazing impact on me. I was really fortunate because I am the executive director. I get to guide the music we play the Valdosta Symphony. So we played that about four years ago. So I got to be on stage and play it. And with Christina Brewer, who sang her hundredth performance of that piece with us at the Valdosta Symphony. So that was really special. And I was happy I got to play it and because it was such a favorite. I arranged it for trombone choir too. I've had my trombone choir play it. Wow, that's great. Sounds very personal and moving. Tell me about what practicing was like for you as a child. Did your parents have to force you to do it or were you self-motivated? I think early on when I started piano, we had a regular time where we would practice. I think that was important. Probably there was some forcing there as I was practicing because I wanted to go outside and play. We used to do that when I, we were, I was young. But I, I practiced, you know, I, that was, I understood that that was an important part of my life was practicing. And so I knew that I had to do that. And then when I got in older, you know, in high school, then I, I got motivated. I was able to study with a couple, two different, really great musicians and teachers. And so they, they kind of inspired me to practice and get better. And then I got, I was in Texas in high school. And Texas is a super hyper competitive state for everything music. And so they expected you to if we were going to be in the one ensemble, we had to be take private lessons. That was a requirement. 
so I took private lessons and I was practicing to make all state band and solo and ensemble competitions and things. So I did uh, did that quite a bit when I was in high school. So I, I practiced pretty regularly then in, in high school. I'm just curious, since it sounds like your your family was a very musical family and very involved in like professional music making, was there ever a point in your life where you consciously decided that you wanted to be a musician? Or was it just something that was always kind of a given in the background, like Doug is going to grow up and be a musician? No, I think it was in high school. My parents were very supportive. My dad taught English at a college and university. I grew up in a university setting, so I was torn a little bit. I was thinking of aerospace engineering and maybe being a pilot, but then I just got so involved in music and had really good success early on. Kind of about my junior year in high school, I realized that I didn't, there's no way I could not have music as part of my life. That's when I decided I wanted to go the music route. And so from then on, I just knew that I would give music a try, but I always wanted to teach in college. I knew that's what my goal was. And so I wanted to play as much as possible and, and develop so I could be a good musician and have opportunities to play. But I knew that teaching was my ultimate goal. So getting I knew I was going to get a doctorate when I was in high school. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of leads very seamlessly into the next question. And let me know if you've already answered it. But why are you a musician and teacher? Was there someone who was particularly influential in guiding you to this path? Um, again, I think a lot of it would be my family, probably my mom and then my dad a little but and I just think music was makes me happy it's, it's part of who I am. So it's hard for me to see myself without music like without the trombone in my hand, I can't really see myself apart from that. Mm. So kind of it's it's just part of who I am and then I just had really good teachers early on that helped kind of inspire me and gave me good instruction. So I was able to be kind of successful early on and had some good success. So that was important too. Um, but it's also, it's kind of my hobby. So, I mean, music is, people ask what, what your hobbies are. And I say, I don't really have any because I play music and my hobby is playing music or going to hear concerts or going to festivals and I just got back last week from playing at a trombone festival in Columbus, and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Got to sit and talk with the trombonist from L.A., Alex Isles, who play, who's played all the John Williams scores. Mm -hmm. And so it was fantastic to have conversations with people like that. And, and so yeah. I've enjoyed that. And so it's, it's just part of who I am and part of my life and the major part of everything I do. Yeah, it's remarkable because you're such a supportive colleague. You're at just about every concert there is in the area and certainly at school. Um, so you obviously love it. Yes, I do. What are some of your favorite memories as a teacher? I think the, one of my favorite things is seeing students graduate. I've had a lot of first generation students. And at our school here, we have students with a really wide background. But many of them come from, you know, single family homes, and so they really have to struggle to pay for school and get through school. So it's been really rewarding for me to see those students get through. I had one student that graduated last year with his MAT in music, and he got a job teaching at elementary school. It took him eight years to get through school. He had all kinds of issues and problems, but he's 
he told me his first year of teaching, he made more that year than his parents have made in their lifetime. Wow. Well, then his grandmother had made in his time. He didn't really have other parents around. So that was, you know, those kind of stories are really empowering and rewarding. And and I've also enjoyed my students' success in like competitions and things too. So I had a national winner of the MTNA solo brass competition in high school division. And I've had multiple state winners of that as well. I've also had students win international trombone solo festival competitions as well as others uh, across the country. So that's been fun to have see students get have success winning competitions and things. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, earlier while you're talking about your own background, you talk about encountering success as a young musician and that being a propeller, um, encouraging you to continue going. How important is it, do you think, as a teacher for us to establish um, moments of success for our students, especially early on? Is it possible for a student to remain interested in music without encountering those moments of success? I suppose if someone is just really talented and there's just an innate talent, they're going to rise to the top regardless of their situation almost. But all the students that I've known and all the musicians that I've known, and I've met a lot of very famous musicians over my lifetime, they all have had triggers or things that propelled them forward, I think. And, and like winning a competition or something was a big part of their life. So. I think it's really important that, that students have goals mm-hmm. and that there's, they're working toward something. And I think if students are working toward a goal, and maybe that's just playing for the, the local piano festival you know, thing is so that they get on stage in front of people. But the important part of that is they're working towards a goal and they're developing uh, and getting comfortable playing in front of people. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's a solo or an ensemble setting you're still on stage you're playing in front of people and you're you get used to being in front of people and so if you're not in a group or you're not playing for competition maybe you don't get that opportunity to be in front of people and the other thing is too I've always felt it's great for students to get feedback from other people I always want my students to to hear from other teachers I really enjoy it when they get to have lessons with other teachers because they get Sometimes if they say the exact same thing that I tell them, but they say it in a different way. And they're like, oh yeah, that, that's kind of what you've been telling me the last three years. I'm like, yes. Now then, then they believe it when the principal in New York Phil tells them the same thing. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's great to get feedback and they get new ideas maybe from different people. But I, I think having goals is incredibly important to develop some sort of pathway towards success. Hmm. So we've talked about setting goals for students or having students set goals for themselves. What kind of goals do you set for yourself? Uh, for me, it's balancing my time early on when I was I had two daughters. Um, so it was finding time to spend with them and being very busy teaching and performing. Now it's really just finding balance of time where I can practice. So I can still practice and stay active as a musician. I have eight orchestra performances scheduled next year. So the other part of my life now, being an older teacher and uh, the backside of my life, I suppose, is just just staying healthy. So doing things that can keep me healthy so that I can continue to play. Playing trombone is a very physical activity. 
it takes a lot of there's some just it's the weight of the instrument itself it takes some strength just to hold it much less breathing and playing you know and the the muscles you need in your face to play so you know really for me it's about staying healthy and finding you know finding new music that can inspire me to to practice and learn new things and that's what i do yeah part of my ignorance but is there like a average age that trombonists reach to where playing trombone becomes difficult or uh, even impossible? Not really. It's something that you can do for a long time. So Jay Friedman is still the principal trombonist of the Chicago Symphony. He started in 1959. Wow. He was like 21 or something. So he's in his, he's pushing 80, I think. So he's still playing. So okay. now he's going to retire any day now. But yeah, as, as long as you stay healthy and you don't have any physical problem, they're playing, depending on what you're playing, some people will move from like a principal position to like second position maybe when they get older because they just don't have the stamina for the principal parts. But you, know, you can play for a long time. There's lots of orchestra musicians that have played 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. even in, in the brass world. Uh, Bud Herseth was the principal trumpet at Chicago Symphony. He played well into his 70s before he retired. Um, so that's pretty common. It's hard on brass players, though. It's not as common for brass players to last that long because they do give out. The lips give out. But yeah. if you keep them in shape, they can last for a long time. It's about overall health, I think. Okay. Yeah. What would you say is the balance between talent and work ethic when it comes to determining success in the student? I don't really believe there's a balance so much. I think that everyone has potential and you have to develop the students um, so that they can continue to develop and grow and learn. Certainly there's some students that are more talented than others, but talent can only take you so far. And what I've noticed from the best musicians in the world is they all work really hard at mm-hmm. their craft. When we bring in international soloists to come here with the Valdosta Symphony, there's some of the best young talents or even people that have been performing around the world. But the first question they ask me is where can they practice? They want a practice space and they practice almost the whole time they're here. So they're not here to visit Valdosta. They, they go from their hotel to the practice room to the rehearsal. Yeah. And that's what they do while they're here. So I think part of it is just, you know, continuing to develop and find, find ways to do that. And then, also kind of the other important thing I think for teachers is you take students where they are and then you bring them along, right? So I think, I don't think that, I think some teachers make a mistake that, you know, you have to be a certain level or you can't possibly learn or play. Mm-hmm. And that's not really true. I mean, everybody has a potential to learn and be a, a musician. Yeah, speaking of guest artists at BSO, I remember during my first year at Valdosta, I was in charge of driving Rachel Chung, our guest pianist for the Valdosta Symphony around. And so we had some interesting conversations in the car. And I was asking her what she was going to do after she returned home to Hong Kong. And she said, oh, she has to you know, learn another recital program for an Asia tour and then learn another recital program for another North America tour. So it just sounded like her schedule was very busy. And at one point I asked Rachel, I said, how do you manage the stress? And she went silent for a couple of seconds and she thought about it. And she said, I manage my stress by practicing. Yeah. 
Because I was like, so you manage the stress of your work by working more. And she's like, yeah, it keeps the stress at bay. It keeps the anxiety at bay. And it was brilliant. It was like a light bulb moment to me. And it made me realize, yeah, it does. You know, when we think about how much we have to do, it can overwhelm us. But if we start working away at it, then it can actually relieve some of the anxiety. And so you are right. Our guest artists are incredibly hardworking. Well, and I always feel, you know, I have a lot of you different stressors in my life too. I was an administrator for a long time. And so I always felt at peace and at home when I was played trombone and practiced trombone. That was where I felt at peace. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. What advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? They need to get them to recitals, concerts. They must listen to music and they must learn that listening to good music and a variety of music is is super important. The problem with young students that want to be classical musicians, whether it's trumpet or trombone, is they've never heard a good sound on a trombone or they've never heard a great piano playing. Right. So they need to hear good music and they need to listen listening should be a 50 50 ratio with practicing hmm. so they should listen as much as they practice one of my most successful students i ever had here was chris crenshaw and he went to juilliard from here to get his master's in jazz studies um he's from thompson georgia a little small old town outside of augusta never had a lesson before he came here but he was super talented uh, but he's playing with Wynton marcellus and lincoln jazz orchestra now so he's in one of the premier ensembles in the world and travels with him all over the world but i never saw him on campus ever in four years without headphones on listening to music wow he's going to classes in between classes he was listening to music i actually have no memory of him without a head headset on and so he's a great example i think of someone that really did that and so I think I would, for parents, I think it's important to get them because like if someone can go hear our Dodge and Pratt play, right? Who's coming to play with the Valo Symphony next year. That can really inspire someone young too. And you hear people and then you can really inspire them. And whether it's a recording that you can play along with. I learned to play along with Bill Rogers when I was in middle school. I just listened to the record and I would just play along with him and. I couldn't do all the thing. I didn't understand how I could play so high and fast. <laughs> but I could play about 80% of the music that he was playing. I learned to play just by ear, playing along with the recording. And so I was listening and playing a lot when I was young. I think that's what helped me be successful in, in high school and a lot of things and early in college. Yeah, that, that's great. That's great advice and very practical. Do you have any books about music or teaching that you can recommend? One that I think is young professionals should know about and be aware of is the Beyond Talent, um, Angela Miles Beeching. It's on its third edition. And it's a wonderful resource because it talks about the, the business aspects of music and she has examples of how to apply for a job, cover letter for applying for a job and you know how to develop and build a resume and I don't know if she still works there. She was the kind of outreach person for the New England Conservatory of Music. And she was 
helped kind of find jobs and schools and graduate degrees for the students there. It was an interesting position and she this her books on its third edition. So that's a really nice book for any young student kind of really interested in looking at more of the professional aspect, but looking at it from the kind of the business side of it, not just performance side. And then other than that, I think it's always great to read biographies. You know, it's great to read about biographies so you can kind of discover if you have a, a favorite composer, you should try to find a biography about them and you can learn a lot more about them. And that can help you with a deeper understanding of their music and where they're coming from. And so there's some really nice learning there that can happen. So I think biographies about composers have been another thing that I've enjoyed reading and learning about. I give them to my students and I, I tell them they have to read them. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. That's great. Okay. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of the organization meant to you? So I've been a member for almost 30 years and I've, I've stayed a member because I've enjoyed getting the journal and kind of reading about any new teaching pedagogy strategies. So I, I do read the journal. It is geared more toward pianists, kind of, or, or singers, but but there's a brass component, and I've had I've been involved in the solo competitions with students. So that's been good for me and my students. I've had multiple students win at the state level and region level, and I've had ensembles participate too in the chamber music section. So I've had three ensembles participate, and that's been fun too. So it's been good for me to be a part of it on, on that side of it, you know, as in the competitions and then also just staying abreast of what's going on in the, by getting the journal and, and reading the journal. Yeah, sure. Great. What aspects of your life and career as a musician has surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? I think the, the most interesting thing for me with being a musician is, is the travel I've been able to do. I've been surprised at how much I've been able to travel just living in Valdosta, Georgia. So I've performed in Canada. I've performed all around the United States in almost every state. I've performed in Canada twice, Mexico, Brazil twice, Italy twice, Spain twice, Germany, Holland, Switzerland, and I've been to China twice to perform. So I've really performed literally all over the world kind of in different continents and countries and it's been fascinating to see those cultures and be around people from those cultures and learn from them. It's, it's difficult. Sometimes I had to lead a trombone ensemble in China. And so I had to learn how to say the numbers because they, they, the students there spoke almost no English. It was, and so there was an interpreter there, there to help me. But I had to learn how to communicate to them using musical language and I learned of the, how to say numbers and things, but it was, so I led a trombone choir, a Chinese trombone choir of mm. students and per, young pro, uh, professionals. They played in military bands and things, and a couple that played in, in orchestras. And that was really fun. That was a unique kind of experience, you know, communicating with music without words for the vast majority of it. Yeah, just, I'm curious for myself, where was it in China and when was this? Um, the first time was in Beijing at the conservatory there, and that was for a regional international trombone festival, the first time it had ever been held there. And the second time was in, it's about 
three hours south and west of Beijing. Can't remember the name of the university, but it was a university there. And we took our jazz combo from here there. Mm. And I taught some lessons to some students there. And I was also part of a panel discussion about curriculum and, and developing how we could, they might be able to add you know, jazz into their curriculum and more popular music maybe. Yeah. So we talked about music curriculum and things. And that's difficult too, because you have interpreters both directions. And so our interpreter was a trumpet player who studied in the United States. And so we asked him once, and he said, so are you telling them what we just said? And he, and he said, eh, more or less. <laughs> we have no idea what he was actually saying that we said, but we did communicate. It just takes longer with the translation. So curriculum development, um, that topic leads beautifully into our next question. What do you see should be the future and role of classical music in society in the 21st century, or even all the role of all genres of music? What I see with classical music is it's starting to become more inclusive and embracing more varieties and genres of music. And so I believe the lines are going to be, become more blurred you know, we have more kind of a classical music, but maybe it's using blues or, or different kind of music from maybe a different non-Western music, you know, world music culture from one of the Arabic countries, you know, uh, some of the rhythmic things they're doing are really interesting with the layering and their, the scales they use that are different than ours, right? Learning to sing or play in, in quarter tones mm. instead of half steps. So I've had to do that in some contemporary pieces. So, but I see this as a classical music as a real way to bridge some of those divides and help us connect and just communicate with one another. I was fortunate to be out in Los Angeles a few weeks ago with the League of American Orchestras. The LA Phil, I got to hear LA Phil with Dudamel in the, at Disney Hall, which was spectacular, and got went to the Hollywood Bowl the next night and. L.A. Phil was there, and Branford Marcellus played with them. John Williams conducted a fanfare he wrote for the 100th anniversary. Then Gwen Stefani came and sang, and Blake Shelton came out, and everybody went crazy. So they're playing for all these people, though, right? They're playing for pop singers. They're playing for jazz musicians. They played some dance music with Stravinsky, and they had dancers out front. So all of this happened in one concert. And so I see more of classical music moving in that direction a little where we can we're more open to kind of non kind of traditional Western ideas. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, even just your description of that concert to me as a classical musician, that sounds fascinating and exciting. I can imagine being in that concert and being really fired up about the diversity of the offering and the mixing of the genres and introducing various genres to the audience that's there. That's wonderful. It was really fun. And there were 17,000 people there. And so it was a big crowd. So they're reaching a lot of people that are hearing this. Of those 17,000 people, I don't know how many of them had heard of Stravinsky Ballet, but they did that night. So yeah. what an amazing thing for them. And they seem to enjoy it. Great dancers, you know, they were fantastic. But, you know, just that whole idea of, of incorporating that into a program was really nice. Yeah, that's brilliant programming right there. This is our very last question. Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and enter professional life? 
the most important thing I think for especially young students is that you set goals for them. Yeah. Some goals that are that are easily maybe easily reachable, but will take just some work. But then some that are beyond their grasp. So I think we can never underestimate what students are capable of doing. I think that's a lot of teachers do that, and I see that that we don't don't really think that a student can play a certain piece or a certain level and we kind of with our own biases maybe about that student or persons think that they're not capable of doing something but i think we have to you know work really hard not to do that so that we give students the opportunity to really just thrive and blossom but that means we have to move them forward and we have to make them learn things that they can't do now but you know a year from now then they look back and all of a sudden they can do those things and sometimes they're surprised by that mm -hmm. and then you don't talk about a lot you just tell them this is what you need to learn to do and then they can do it so setting goals both short-term and long-term goals for students are really important you as a teacher should model and make sure that your students are always treating everyone with kindness so that's something that i've noticed with all the really wonderful great musicians i've had the opportunity to be around they're all super nice people and you enjoy just being around them right and like your time just driving rainsaw around right you learn amazing things from them sometimes and they're just good people yeah. and so it's nice to i think that's something we have to almost teach our students too you know how do you communicate with each other how do you talk about how do you how can you give a critique of someone's playing and it still be positive and reinforcing rather than just all negative and like you sound horrible you can't do that so we have to train them how to talk to one another i think and how to treat them with kindness and because their peers are going to be the ones that they associate with for a very long time and the music business is a really small world is you know we can, I I rarely ever go to any place in the country where someone doesn't know either me or someone that I worked studied with or one of my friends an example of that is I went to the national championship game of the Blazers football team in Dallas and one of my students when Oscar De La Rosa went to go see the he's not in the marching band but he went he, he thought it'd be fun to go see the band and i said well, okay well if you're going to be in dallas you should have a lesson with the principal trombonist of the dallas symphony barry hearn he just won the job like two years ago or three years ago but he went to two of my schools and he played solo with my a quartet i was with and so when we were on tour he played a solo with us twice so i was able to hang around him and I saw and I would played with our group played in the army band in Washington with the army band in Washington DC and he played in that group for a while. So I called him up and said hey would you give my student a lesson and he's teaching at SMU now. Mm -hmm. And so he said sure just have him call me and come over to the house. He gave him like a two and a half hour lesson and he's SMU is now one of the schools he's looking at next year. Wow. But you know I, I always thought very fondly of Barry and you know we had a good relationship and so it was he was happy to help do that for my student I think in part because of we've had a good just a good relationship I, I didn't spend a lot of time with him but he knew me and your acquaintances and friends I suppose you could say and then two weeks from now I play at the International Trombone Festival in Arkansas and the Dallas Symphony section is going to be the orchestra section there so I'll get to see him and hang out with him some yeah so that'll be fun that'll be fun
Yeah, I think we've all experienced it, how small the musical world is. And I think the longer we stay in it, the smaller it feels, smaller it becomes. So that's that's excellent advice for young professionals. Well, Doug, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to our organization, to MTNA, for being a longtime member, and definitely for your faithfulness um, to teaching and to nurturing young talents. You have always been a kind and sincere colleague, so I imagine that you are a very kind and sincere teacher. I've not been in any of your classrooms, but that is all the wonderful things I hear about you students. And so this conversation has just set that in stone for me. With that, I wish you happy teaching and happy students.